As our praise team is meandering off the stage, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12 and let's stand together, beloved. And let's read from these words together that, Roman, that, that Paul pens for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These series of instructions, these series of exhortations and commands that begin in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, right? After he's spent this masterful first 11 chapters of the book of Romans describing for us in, in such a, a grand fashion the fullness of the gospel. Then he comes to these, these series of exhortations, these series of commands, this what must be true of us as the people of God, what we ought to be striving for, right, as the church. So let's look at this beginning in verse 9. Let's read it together. This is the word of God. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, whenever we approach... Um, these words, you know, every Sunday when we, when, as we've been looking at these words, Father, I'm reminded um, of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, that your intention, Lord God, and, and really what you've accomplished through the gospel is not merely our redemption from the penalty of sin, but you've rescued us from the dominating an irresistible power of sin. You've given us, you've made of us new creatures in Christ, and you've given us by your Spirit, Lord God, the power to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, to walk in a manner that brings honor and glory to your holy name. And so, Lord, that, that's our desire. We want to honor you in that way. And we know that in order to do that, we need to know what you command of us. And then we need to have a heart to do those things. And then we need to have the strength that accompanies that desire in order for 
you know, practical righteousness to, to flourish in our lives. And so, Father, I am pleading with you this morning that you would um, manifest your presence with us as the teacher of your word. That, Father, you would, you would unfold your word to our hearts and that we, you would give to us receptive hearts, that you'd give to us attentive hearts, you'd give us focused hearts. That, that, Lord, there would be an earnest desire in us really to hear and understand and want to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. And, Lord, we just, we pray that, you know, all of our faults, um, perceptions, Father, all of our, um, you know, just natural inclinations, that, Father, those would be overcome by your Spirit. That, Lord, you would, you would overcome what seems right to us and instead fill us with a desire for what is right in your eyes. Um, God, we pray that your word would bear fruit in our hearts. That we wouldn't just sit underneath another sermon and, and hear words that we know we ought to pay attention to, but then just forget. Lord, I pray that you would compel us by your irresistible grace, to, to hear and to respond to these words. I pray, Father, that you'd empty me of myself. I pray that you'd make me a, a fitting vessel to, to speak your word this morning. I pray that, Father, I would have no reliance upon anything, any, any gift, any, any wisdom, anything of myself at all, but that my entire reliance would be upon your spirit who, who lives in me, and that, Lord God, it would be the same for for this body of believers. Um, I pray that the preaching of your word would be to the praise of your glory and for the good of your people. So, Father, please come and accompany this preaching and, and, and make it go forth in the power of the Spirit of the living God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, beloved, this morning, we're looking at yet another essential and vital command from Paul. A vital, you know, word from really God through Paul, through the Apostle Paul, as to what it looks like for us to really walk out this redemption that we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, and the command this morning is live in harmony with one another, right? Live in harmony with one another. We're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at it in detail. But before we do, or as we do, I want to remind you, and I want us to continually be reminded of this, just like we talked last week, that the point of the Lord's ethical commands in Romans chapter 12 is not to serve as a means of salvation. In other words, it's not hear these commands and keep these commands and therefore be saved. That is not What's being said here. We're not to keep these commands in order that we might have eternal life that we somehow earn in our own strength and in our own power, right? We know. Paul has just been describing for us in the first 11 chapters of Romans that we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen? That has nothing to do with our personal merit. That it has nothing to do with our track record of goodness. That it has nothing to do with our imagined righteousness because all of our righteousness is what? Like filthy rags. 
It has everything to do with God's grace. It everything to do with the fact that God saw us in our desperate need and he redeemed us because of his great mercy and his great love with which he loved us before the foundation of the world, right? However, okay, we are given these commands because if you are a Christian, if you truly are in Christ, then you have been given life. You have been redeemed from your old life of worthlessness by the supernatural atoning work of Christ on the cross, right? You've been regenerated. You who were once dead to God have now been made alive to God by the Holy Spirit. And you've been justified and you're not guilty now. God declares that, that you are no, not, no longer guilty of your sin, but you are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been declared that the divine wrath that you rightly deserve for breaking God's law has been poured upon Christ in your place and you have been redeemed from the slave market of sin, right? You are now God's purchased possession by the blood of Christ and you've been reconciled to Him and made at peace with Him and even more, you have been adopted into the family of God, right? And because you have been There's a certain way that the family of God lives. There's a certain way that the family of God lives. There's certain aspects to what life in Christ looks like if it's actually genuine, right? And so you've been redeemed so that you can grow in grace. So that you can grow more and more into the character and the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Our elder brother, the one who saved us, right? That's who we are now. We are, we are saints. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But not only did Christ save us from the penalty of our sin, praise God, but he saved us from its enslaving power, right? And so therefore, there's, there's a way you're supposed to live. There's a, there's, there are things, there's a, there's a, a certain, you know, there's a certain character that ought to identify the people of God. And so what Paul gives us here is, you know, not a full list, but, but, but a, an explanation, a description of what it looks like to be in Christ. And he does it through this series of exhortations and commands, right? You with me so far? So J.C. Ryle said, and I think he was right, he said, you know, many appear to think, many Christians appear to think that once converted, they have little more to attend to. And a state of salvation is kind of like an easy chair, he says, in which they may just sit still, lie back, and be happy. Such persons lose sight of the many direct injunctions to increase, to increase, to grow, to abound more and more, to add to our faith in the like. And he says the result is a lot of Christians, therefore, lack in assurance. Because they don't see their lives becoming more and more conformed to the commands of God and the image of Christ. So, the whole idea, beloved, is this. We are to seek obedience to these commands because they reflect the character of our Lord. And we are to strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Him. It's good for us. It's good for Christ's church and it exalts the glory of God who saves and transforms sinners into saints that are set apart to do His good will. 
So here we are with yet another command, right? And what he says here is this, right? Here we are, this Another command, live in harmony with one another. And yet again, it is focused on our relationship to our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And like all the other, you know, exhortations that came before it, it is a timeless and it's an enduring command. We are to live in harmony with one another. It's not just a good idea, right? It's not just good advice. I want to make sure we see this. It's not just an, an ideal to strive for. It is a command from the living God. You do what you need to do in order to live in harmony with one another. You with me? Now, I want you to hear me when I say this, okay? When I say to you, when I'm saying, you, this is what we need to do to live in harmony with one another, I don't, please don't hear me like my kids sometimes hear me, okay? I will say to my kids sometimes, hey, you really need to make sure that you do X, Y, or Z, right? I'm not saying that because they're not doing X, Y, or Z. If they were not doing X, Y, or Z, or they were doing X, Y, and Z, and I didn't want them to do, I would say, stop doing that, or start doing that. I'm just giving you a friendly reminder that this is what you ought to be doing. Let me give you an illustration to help you understand. So, for instance, like, you know, Gabe had his first football game this week, and I sat him down before the game, I said, listen... Don't be prideful and don't be arrogant when you're playing out there. You'd be fierce, you'd be aggressive, you do all that stuff, but you don't be pride, prideful and you don't be arrogant. And his response, well, I'm not pride or ar- prideful or arrogant. And I'm like, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying don't be, right? It wasn't, if, if you had then, I would have said stop being arrogant and prideful out there, right? But that's not what, so when I'm preaching this to you, don't be sitting there thinking, he doesn't think we want to live in harmony with one another. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we're not already striving for this. I'm exhorting you to strive even harder. You with me? All right. So let's look at the heart of this thing. Let's look at the heart of this command first of all. And then we'll, we'll, we'll do a little run through scripture. Paul exhorts us. Look at it again. First part. First, you know, 16a of, of Romans chapter 12. He says, live in harmony with one another. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. And I want to make sure we understand. It's kind of funny. The interesting thing about this sentence is that the translators of this verse actually chose to describe the effect of the command that is being given here, right? A unified harmony between brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than to translate word for word the command itself. They chose to, they chose to, to give the idea of, of, of what the effect would be, okay? rather than explaining specifically and explicitly what it says here in this text. Okay, so let me explain what I mean by that. The main verb in this, in this Greek sentence is the Greek word phroneo. Okay, phroneo. And I'll, I'll spell it for you because it doesn't, it's not spelled the way it sounds. It's P-H-R-O-N-E-O. Phroneo. Okay? And, and that word, that verb, has to do with your thinking. It has to do with your mindset. It has to do with pondering and considering and contemplating something, okay? It has to do with setting your mind in a certain direction. It has to do with fixing your mind upon something. You with me? In other words, here's the deal. Probably a a better translation, or perhaps, let me just say perhaps, perhaps a better translation of the heart of what Paul is saying here would be, be of one mind with one another. Be of one mind with one another, which in turn will lead 
to harmony with one another. So in other words, what, what Paul is getting at here, is he's calling us to this unified way of thinking, to a, a unified and a common direction, to, to having a like mind, a unified perspective and mindset, right? He's saying, I want you guys to have the same heart. I want you guys to think alike. I want you guys to have the same perspective on things. You guys need to be a unit. You need to be together. You need to be a team, okay? That's what he's getting at here. And when Paul calls us to this like mind with one another, that, that is what promotes harmony. When you've got a like mind with one another, there will be mutual agreement. There will be mutual solidarity and accord with one another, right? That's the idea. Now, I want to make sure we understand something. Paul is not saying that. He's not saying, and, and, and he's not talking about having an agreement on every single issue that you could possibly consider. You know why? That will never happen in this life, right? Those of you who are married know that. You are one flesh in Christ, right? But there are things you disagree on. There are things that you are not in one accord about. Issues of, you know, personal conviction or, or opinion or whatever like that, right? It's not, it's not the idea that we all have a hive mind and think about everything in the exact same way, right? I want to make sure we understand that. Like we're not going for cultish, you know, um, uh, like conformity to one another, right? We're not, we're not trying to be little Mormons here. But what Paul is talking about is a common mind with regard to everything that he's been teaching to us in this epistle. Okay? That's what he's getting at. He's calling us to a harmony that is grounded in a common faith in the truth of God's Word. To be of the same mind, to be of the same thinking, describes a unity of thought regarding what the Bible really is. God's revelation of Himself and absolute truth. He's talking about us having the same mind regarding the person and the character and the sovereign authority of Almighty God. He's calling us to have the same mind about the, the person and the ministry and the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. About the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. About the content and the power of the gospel. About living out, what it looks like to live out the implications of the gospel and how we pursue godliness and righteousness both personally and corporately, right? He's talking about being of the same mind regarding the church as the body of Christ and about our mission in this world to contend for the faith and to stand on God's truth and to make His glory known more and more, right? He's calling us to one mind about earnestly pursuing the lost that are in this world. Our mission, right? Paul's call here is a, is a call to be united in truth, to be united in faith, to be united in intent, and to be united in purpose, right? To be on the same page with one another. 
That's the idea. And such harmony. Okay? Such oneness of mind and heart. Listen, that just doesn't come from nowhere. All right? It just doesn't come from out of nowhere. That oneness of heart, that oneness of mind, that kind of harmony is only possible through each one of us personally experiencing the grace of salvation and redemption and peace with God that comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as Savior and Lord. And that means that we've got to be of one mind regarding the gospel. Amen? Nothing else has sufficient weight. Nothing else has sufficient value and worth. Nothing has the sufficient power to create this one mind as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why in our modern church in America, there seems to be such a lack of a unified mind and heart and purpose and focus in so many churches? I'll tell you why. And and, and, and it's sad, but I'm going to tell you why. Here's the truth. Here's the reality of it. It's because there are a great number of people in the modern church today that are completely unregenerate because they've heard a faulty and a fictitious gospel that they have believed in, thought they were saved, been added to the church, but they can't be one mind and one heart with those who are truly saved. And so there ends up being division and splintering and fracturing within the body of Christ. That's the reason. It's the same reason why when I came here and I began immediately to preach the Word of God, there was a fracture that took place in this body. Not that it wasn't already fractious. Not that it was you that were here, no. Not that you guys were not already banging heads with one another. But when the gospel was preached... There was this great divide between those who heard the gospel, believed the gospel, you know, staked their heart and their lives on the gospel, the ones who are still here, and those who didn't. The grounds for one heart, one mind is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And nothing else will do. Nothing else will work. Do-gooder stuff doesn't last. Just trying to make people comfortable and happy and and entertain them. It doesn't last. As those who've been ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from our forefathers, and not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Listen, we share a common life, don't we? We share a, a common purpose, a common goal, and our dominant aim, the aims of our lives are not to make much of ourselves, or at least they shouldn't be, but rather to make much of the Lord and to live to His glory and to obey His commands and to reflect His holiness. To be blameless and innocent, the children of God, right? Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. Paul's saying you got to live in harmony with one another. you got to be of one mind and you got to be of one heart with one another. And that unity of thought and conviction and purpose, it can only be grounded in God's objective truth. 
It's a harmony that can only be produced by a mutual resolve, by a mutual like-mindedness to honor God and to put to death self-preoccupation and self-infatuation and self-exaltation. And the only way that that happens is by each one of us experiencing the personal, personally experiencing the grace of God in redemption and then sharing together corporately in that grace and reveling in it together what unites us is christ listen you know what jake was talking about it when he was praying i was how's that for the spirit of god putting minds and hearts together i was thinking about this how look in many ways we are different from one another aren't we right i mean we're very different from one another in a lot of different ways like our personalities are not the same praise god right we're, we have different education levels. We're, we, we, you know, have different interests. We have different occupations. We have different ethnicities. We have different backgrounds. Dif- we grew up in different ways, disparate manners. Like, our lives are not identical to one another at all. And that's normal and that's right. There's nothing wrong with that. But concerning the truth and the truths of God's Word, the the truth and the implications of the Gospel, beloved, we are to be of one mind and one heart regardless of our background. Regardless of those lesser differences, right? We're to believe the Word of God. We are to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And those truths, the truths of God's Word, must unite us in heart and mind because they're far more important, hear me now, they're far more important than the things that make us to differ from one another. Do you believe that? The living stones that make up the spiritual house of God, right? Like they're not... There are many different shapes and sizes. But we have one foundation. Jesus Christ our Lord, right? In fact, consider these last written words of a gentleman named John Brown of Haddington. He was a reformed Scottish preacher who died in 1787. He says, if I never write to you more, let these be my last words. There is none like Christ. None like Christ. None like Christ. Nothing like redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. There is no learning nor knowledge like the knowledge of Christ. There's no life like Christ living in the heart by faith. There's no work like the service of Christ and no riches or wealth like the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's Christ in everything. Beloved, that, that's the harmony. That is the unified perspective of mind and heart that we are to pursue. You with me? That the Lord Jesus Christ and the cause of Christ is before all else and it's above all else and it is supremely more important than anything else. And when we're supremely united in this resolve, beloved, there can be no dissension and there can be no division among us, but only a harmony that delights in the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings God much glory for His people to be united with a harmony like that. Now here's the thing. This being of one mind, 
This is a predominant theme throughout Scripture. Like, this isn't just the only place that Paul talks about it. This isn't the only, like, here's the, the one-off where Paul decides to talk a little bit about being a one. No, no, man. It is all over the Word of God. Okay? And I, I can't really trace every single Scripture where this is talked about or, or how it's related, but I just want to give you a few. I want you to think about a few with me, right? I mean, this is really important. First of all, consider Paul's words to the Corinthian church, okay? You might want to turn here if you want to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Just consider what he says here, okay? And think about what's going on. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And what is Paul getting at here? Well, I want you to remember what's going on here in the, in the Corinthian church. The problem in the Corinthian church at this time was that its members were lining up behind various teachers that suited them, right? Now, all of them were faithful men, but they were lining up behind guys that they, they, they liked, okay? So, so some would say, well, you know, I am of Paul, and others were saying, I am of Apollos, and others were saying, I am of Kepha, I'm of Peter, right? The particularly spiritual ones boasted that they were of Christ, you know, you always got that group. And, But the issue was, here they were, falsely dividing amongst themselves and weakening the church. Because the truth is, is that each one of these guys, Paul, Apollos, Peter, they were preaching the same thing. They were preaching Christ. They were preaching His gospel and His commands, right? Now, look, there's nothing wrong with having a certain preference for, you know, a preacher. Like, there are preachers that I listen to that I like better than others. There are guys that I listen to that, you know, I I have to keep myself awake. And then there are guys that I listen to that I'm tracking with completely. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes when you divide over that. Well, I'm of Steve Lawson. Well, I'm I'm of John MacArthur. Well, I'm of R.C. Sproul. Well, I'm of Jesus. Of course, that guy's always in the group, right? The issue was it was dividing the church here. So Paul approaches him and he says, listen, I'm making an appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's getting at is, look, Christ is not divided. Christ is not divided and neither can you be. I'm appealing to you because you're my brother. I'm appealing to you because we are both in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we should also be in fellowship with one another. We should all agree in Christ. There's got to be doctrinal unity and a commitment to the truth of God's Word as the rule of our lives. So it's not an allegiance to individual preachers. It is an allegiance to the Word of God that unites our hearts. And we ought to have the same mind, the same judgment. Well, what if we differ in opinion? What what if we do? Because we're going to, right? What if we differ in opinion? 
Like, I, you know, just to put it on a, a, an entirely earthly level, right? Like, like I, I, inter, I entertain this debate quite often with guys who, younger guys, who will say, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of any generation, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, no, he's not. He might be the greatest of this era, but he's not the greatest quarterback ever. Have you guys ever heard of Joe Montana? And they're like, Joe who? And I'm like, you ought to look him up, YouTube, right? And the, rea- the reason I say that, and I'll argue it, is like, look, man, truth is, Tom Brady couldn't have lasted in Joe Montana's era. They'd have broken him in half. Can you imagine Lawrence Taylor hitting him? You, you don't even know who he is, do you, some of you? Don't have no idea who Lawrence Taylor is. I don't know who he is. He's the greatest outside linebacker in NFL history, but never mind. Anyways, the point I'm getting at is this. There are opinions and, and arguments that we're going to have we're never going to come to a resolution on. But what about those things that matter where we differ in opinion? What do we do then? Well, here's what you do. Rather than insisting your opinion is right, you humble yourself with the one with whom you're having the discussion and you go to the Word of God. You go to the Word of God and you submit your opinion and your heated, you know, ideas to what does Scripture say? What does the Word of God say? Because no matter how fired up I am about my opinion, if my opinion conflicts with the Word of God, guess what? My opinion is wrong. We come to the Word of God and we submit ourselves to the Word of God. Now here's the deal. In matters on which the Scriptures are not explicit, there is room for difference of opinion, right? There is. But in the clear teachings of Scripture, there is no room for difference because, listen to me now, to differ with the Scripture would be to differ with God Himself. Are you hearing me? Do I need to say that again? I will. In matters on which the Scripture is not explicit, there is room for difference of opinion. But in the clear teaching of Scripture, there is no room for difference because to differ with the Scripture is to differ with God Himself. God doesn't disagree with Himself. God's never in conflict. Think about that for a moment. How often are we in conflict? God's never in conflict. He never disagrees with Himself and the Word does not disagree with itself. Again, we're not exact exact replicas of one another. We are not carbon copies, but we must hold the same judgment and the same opinions and the same mind regarding the explicit teaching of Scripture, regarding Christian doctrine and standards and basic lifestyle. We've got to submit our opinions and submit our understanding and submit our minds and our desires to the comprehensive and cohesive truth of God's Word, right? So that we can be of one mind. Does that really matter? Yes, it does. It really does. In fact, later Paul will write to this very same church, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He'll say, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Agreeing with one another in the Lord. Being of one mind with one another. It opens the door... First of all, to true rejoicing in worship. Why? Because we share the same truth together, right? Moreover, being of one mind opens the door to true restoration between believers 
in the church. Here's why. It's because only the gospel provides the grounds for real forgiveness, for real reconciliation, and for real restoration with one another, doesn't it? Think about it like this. When we are of one mind regarding the gospel, when we're of one mind of the commands from, that, that, that flow forth from the gospel, we actually have some place to put our sin, right? Some place to, to, to put our sin against one another and against the Lord. And that place that we have to put the, our sin is under the blood of Christ, right? The reason I can actually forgive you and you can actually forgive me is because our sins don't, don't hang out there somewhere in the, in the nether world. Like when I confess to you my sin and I ask for your forgiveness or when you do the same with me or when you do it with your brother or your sister in Christ, it's not just we're going to choose to forget about this. It's that we can forget about this and we can be reconciled because the blood of Christ is already he covered it and God himself forgets it. Right? Being of one mind opens the door to mutual accountability and encouragement, right? Think about this. If we're of one mind and we're of one heart and we're of one standard and we're of one truth, right? Then that gives me a basis and it gives you a basis to encourage each, each other, right? To hold each other accountable, to instruct one another, to, to, to make an effort to like, to see my brother or my sister grow more in the great, in the grace and the knowledge of God, right? If we don't have that same mind and that same heart, we have different standards, don't we? We have different focus. We have a different pursuit. And that's why being of one mind is so important. Moreover, based upon, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, being of one mind establishes the grounds for true comfort, for truly comforting one another. You know why? Because we believe the same things. And we can lovingly share truth with one another that we believe together, right? And that gives weight to the words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And moreover, when we're of one mind with one another, and we're of one heart, and we're of one purpose, and we're of one soul, one souled, you know, when we're like that, we can live in peace with one another. Real peace, because we, and the reason is, is because we both share a mutual desire to honor the Lord above all else. And when we're united in this way, Paul says, the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, what does he mean by that? When we're one heart, one mind, the God, the God of, of, of love and of peace will be with you. Like, what does he mean by that? Because, of course, God is omnipresent, right? We know that. He's everywhere at once. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Beloved, what he's talking about is the manifest presence of God with his people. The sense of his nearness to his people. Of his presence to bless. Of his presence to strengthen and unify his people in one heart. That's the experience of a church where people are united 
in heart and in mind. A real sense of the presence of God. And you don't have to like try to gin it up, you know, you don't have to try to like, you know, emotionalize it up. You don't have to try to sing some rockin' cool song so everybody gets all hype. You don't have to do that. There's just a very real sense that, man, God is with us. God is with us. And that happens when hearts are united like that. Or think about, think about what Paul says to the Philippians, to the Philippian church, right? That was one of his favorites. He says to them in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And then a little bit later in Philippians 2, verse 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, right? And think about what he's saying here. Paul's telling us that being of one mind with one another in the truth and the authority of the Word of God leads to great blessing for the church. Specifically, he says, strength and courage to stand firm in the face of persecution and opposition to the truth, right? Encouragement, motivation, to strive together for the faith of the gospel. What Paul's getting at is this, that unified hearts and minds leads to a unified front. And why is that? Because we have the same Lord. And we're motivated by the same love for God. And our minds and our hearts are united to the, in the gospel that saves us. We're of full accord in one mind and nothing can shake us. Nothing can cause us to splinter and to unravel. There's this unity of mind and heart, a singular passion, a united focus, a common purpose that galvanizes us as a people. Right? That, that draws our hearts and our souls together and, and puts, makes us to stand shoulder to shoulder in the midst of this world. It was important for the Philippians to hear. They were experiencing persecution. It was going to get worse. And it's important for us to hear as well. He was calling these guys, and he's calling us to an indivisible and resolute and inseparable unity with one another, a harmony a solidarity and camaraderie, this united front in which we can face all of the political and social and cultural and family pressures that strive against us that are only going to get worse. Because we won't survive without this kind of unity. And it's a unity that is different from all of the counterfeits in the world. And you're familiar with them. Think about it. You see it in the superficial unity and loyalty to our, you know, favorite sports teams. You know, like down in Virginia Tech, let's just say, everybody, when you go to a Tech game, man, everybody's wearing Tech gear. They're all together, right? One nation, Virginia Tech nation, right? Or UVA commune, you know, something like that. There's a difference. Anyway, you got that, right? But just let there be a quarterback controversy and see how long that camaraderie sticks together, right? We see it, for instance, in, 
in the, the common, the face of a common crisis that soon blows over. You see it in, you know, common efforts for a charitable cause or whatnot. You see it in the face of an imagined slight or offense where we're all just, you know, trying to, to, to preserve our rights. You see it, you know, in, in the false attempts to make, you know, a team through, you know, imaginary, you know, opposition. My, my coaches were the masters of that. The whole, nobody thinks you guys can do it. Everybody's against you. The only people who believe are in this locker room. Now go show them. Whatever. You see it in the gangs. You see it in the in-groups, right? You see it in the unity in our society in rebellion against God. The LGBTQIA2S+. Plus Conglomeration. But here's the point, beloved. Here's what I want you to think about. At some point, all those forms of false unity break down, don't they? Don't they? At some point, they fly apart. At some point, they just, they crumble. And the reason is that they are really all forms of self-centeredness or self-promotion or self-protection or convenience or momentary necessity. And they are not rooted in anything eternal. They're not rooted in anything transcendent or supernatural. But our unity is. What makes our unity in mind and heart, so much greater in degree and character than any superficial unity in this earth is that it's rooted in eternal things, in things that are eternally valuable and meaningful and significant and precious. A common allegiance to God, a common allegiance to His Word, a common allegiance to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul says when we're united like that, it is an evidence of our salvation. It's an evidence of the power of the gospel to unite different people under one common king and Lord and under one cause, the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And conversely, the splits and the divisions and the arguing and the differing and the fussing and the feuding and the warring and the killing and the seeking and the grasping that we see in the world is a clear sign that they are yet in their sins and condemned before God. Consider Philippians 2, 2 again. You see it. You see, you, you see how it, how it all goes together. When he, when Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Think about this. I want you to see how this unity takes place. It's grounded first in the Word of God as our minds and our, and our opinions and all of our beliefs are saturated and shaped by biblical truth, right? Be of the same mind. In Colossians 3.16, Gretchen referenced it earlier. Paul wrote, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here's the question. How then do we let the Word of God, how does the church let the Word of God dwell richly in us? Well, it starts first of all with this. It starts with each one of us reading, believing, and committing to obeying the Word of God, right? Right? John was at a conference earlier this week. It was a conference that Steve Lawson was doing up in Washington, D.C. And he wanted to go up. It was an expository preaching conference. And there were several pastors up there. They all had the same complaint. They all had the same worry. There was a lot of guys that asked this question. How do you get your congregation to read the Word of God? My congregation doesn't read the Word of God. 
And John was sitting there, rightly so. And he was like, man, we're blessed. We have a congregation that actually reads the Word of God. That's where it starts. It starts with reading the Word of God. Then secondly, it leads to me standing in this pulpit, preaching the Word of God faithfully and fully, and you being willing to receive that Word as what it is. Not the Word of a man, but the Word of God as the truth. Not as a suggestion or an opinion, but as the authoritative binding, God-magnifying, Christ-exalting, obedience-demanding, life-giving Word of God. And as we grow in our understanding of God's Word together, right, what does God do? He makes us of one mind. That's why I'm going to make a plug here right now that you come on Wednesday nights. Those of you that do, thank you for coming. But the rest of you ought to make it a priority to be here on Wednesday nights. We don't just sit here and twiddle our thumbs and do nothing on Wednesday nights. We don't just kind of hang out and, you know, whatever, sing kumbaya and go home. We worship. We read and study the Word of God that connects so incredibly well. Man, Isaiah dovetails so perfectly with Romans. You guys that are here on Wednesday nights, you can testify to that. Amen? It's remarkable. And our minds are, 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 are drawn closer together and we are united more. And then we pray with one another, like the stuff we sang about in that song. Well, it's the middle of the week. I got a lot going on. Man, so do I. Really? So do I. Yeah, but that's just your job. Okay. It's just my job. It's your calling, isn't it? To love Christ supremely. Isn't it? Now, I'm not saying if you don't come on Wednesday night, you don't love Jesus. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. There's fruit born on Wednesday nights that a lot of you are missing. Or in our Bible studies. Like, if you have the opportunity to be here on Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock for women's Bible study and you're not here... You should be here. If you have the opportunity to be there at 6.30 on Friday morning and, and, and come to men's Bible study, if you can do that, you ought to be here. If we had to move into a bigger place. Listen, here's the truth. Some people are like, well, I would come on Wednesdays, but, you know, you're up there in that room. Listen, if all y'all came on Wednesdays, we'd be down here. Wouldn't we? Yep. Was that you, John Klein? Oh, I thought you said yes. I almost had a heart attack for a second there. I just, but... Yeah. As we're in the Word together, we, as we grow in the understanding of God's Word together, God gives us the same mind. You know what that leads to? It leads to a same love. That's what he's talking about here, right? Complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love. Well, what love is he talking about? Well, here's the deal. You know, the root to the heart is through the mind, isn't it? You end up, as you understand more and more about who God is, you grow in your love for God. You grow in your love for Christ. You grow in your love for the Spirit. You grow in your passion for Christ's glory and your love for His name and for His honor and for His praise. It's a love that Scripture says, Paul says, controls us. The love of Christ controls us, he says. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It creates a shared love for the Lord that captures our minds and our desires and that makes us want to be obedient and loyal to him. 
A shared love for God in Christ that binds our hearts together. And then in turn, that leads us to being in full accord and of one mind. Right? Look again. Philippians 2. 2. Complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, you might look at that and go, Paul's repeating himself. No, he's not repeating himself. There's a different nuance in what he says here. There's a nuance that speaks of being a one in spirit and one in purpose. Beloved, it's the idea of being together and sticking together heart and soul. It speaks of souls in harmony with one another. In other words, it goes beyond merely agreeing with one another theologically. I agree with that theological point. It goes beyond that. To caring for one another deeply and actively. Because our souls are united to God and to one another. The strong and the, and the invincible bond. This strong and invincible bond this grounded in the truth of the gospel stabilizes us and it steadies us and it focuses us on pleasing god and loving one another so that we can't be fractured and we won't allow anything of lesser substance to come between us nothing that's the idea here just one last text to consider this morning and it comes from the very same epistle of romans it's what i read at the beginning of the service Romans 15, verses 5 through 7. Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, grant you to live in one mind with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now there's a mouthful there and I will preach it when we get there. But I just want to say a couple of things about this. Paul's desire here, his wish, his prayer, if you will, is that God would make us to be of such harmony with one another, one mind with one another, and in accord with Christ. All of us having the mind of Christ with Christ, right? that it would be such a way that it would enable us to glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one united voice. And the picture there is not just of all of us glorifying God with one voice, but all of us glorifying God with one voice along with Christ, whose mission it was to glorify His Father. It enables us to have to be in unison with one another. And that in turn, you know, to, to sing with one united voice, united in unison with one another. And that in turn makes us to welcome each other. Each one who is singing the same song, singing off the same sheet of music, if you will. Just as Christ welcomed us. Because we naturally want to be, don't we? part with those who share the same mind and heart. Really, this harmony that, that, that Paul is describing, that we're being called to, is the very thing for which Jesus prayed. I keep going back to John 17 and Christ's high priestly prayer because it's that important. In verses 20 through 23, we read Jesus praying these words. Praying, I do not ask for these only. Speaking of his apostles. 
his disciples. But he says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them even as you loved me. When the Lord's people quarrel and fight, when they're disunified, they damage the testimony of the gospel of Christ before the world. You see that? They weaken his church. But worst of all, they grieve the one who bought them. Who died to make them one in him. Right? The Father is one. The Son is one. The Spirit is one. And the church is one. There's no division in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. Their heart, their will, joined together, indivisible and pure. They're of one mind and one heart and one purpose and one vision and one direction. They're of one spirit. There's no division in the Godhead. There's a unity of joy and fellowship. And that's the unity that God desires, purposes in us, and makes possible through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. That He makes possible as we die to ourselves and live to Christ. One mind, the mind of Christ. One heart to magnify the Lord God in everything. One purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. One vision. God's kingdom come in one direction. Wherever God leads. One spirit that binds us together, who binds us together as one. That, how glorious is that kind of unity? Let me just offer you some closing thoughts. First of all, really, I only have two. First of all, maybe three. We'll see. First of all, and we've said this about the other commands in Romans 12, 11. If our gospel proclamation is going to have weight in our pagan society, right? If it's going to have traction then our church needs to look like Jesus, right? Our church needs to look like Christ. And we need to be of one mind with one another and experience the harmony that comes with it. When the world sees a community where people stick together, where they're united in mind and heart, despite being from various backgrounds, where they cannot be fractured or splintered, despite our faults and our failures, and despite political and social and cultural efforts to break us, then people are forced to account for what they see. And that's when the gospel has real power. If we claim to be united with Christ, and and, and if we claim to be united in Christ, and we're splintered and we're fractured, how can we offer them the gospel in sincerity and in integrity. We can't, right? 
right? It's hard to do. We're called to be an evangelistic people. We ought to be. We must be. We have the only message that saves lost sinners and gives dead people life, right? We've got the only message that actually deals with the sin that condemns us all before the holy God, right? We have the only message that speaks of a holy God who is also a God of great mercy and love and compassion as evidenced in the gift of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation for, for our sins. So we've got to preach it and we've got to proclaim it and we've got to call people to believe. It's not just enough to, to help them clean up on the outside, right? We need to preach to them the gospel so that their souls might be saved. We've got to be diligent and courageous and purposeful. But if we're going to be effective... We need to be of one heart and one mind and of true harmony with one another so that we don't undermine the very promise of the gospel, right? Because the gospel, the promise is not just, well, I just, God saves individuals and leaves them on their own, right? You get an acre in the Arizona desert, just you and God and your God tube, right? It's not like that. He saves us together as a people. He puts us together as a people. And I've said this before, the gospel that can, the gospel that can reconcile a wretched sinner to the holy God, if it's got the power to reconcile a wretched sinner to a holy God, it has the power, the gospel does, to unify forgiven sinners to one another, with one another, right? And the second practical issue, if you will, is this, the harmony for which Paul calls and which God empowers. We may not always realize it, but it is one of our greatest needs and blessings in the midst of a hostile and attacking world. Beloved, we need this kind of harmony amongst one another. We need it. We can't survive without it. More and more, here's the truth, more and more as we witness and we endure the hostility and the foolishness of this world and all the isms and the schisms and the fake outrage and everything else that just describes our ridiculously fallen humanity. I mean, it just seems like in our country especially, we, you know, those who are united against Christ look for ways to make their foolishness more obvious, don't they? As we look at those things, we're going to be looking at one another and we're going to be saying, you know what? These are my people. This church, these followers of Christ, these are my people. Because we share the same heart and the same mind and the same spirit and the same purpose and the same desires and the same mindset in the same direction. And through thick and thin, through joy and trial, these are my people. Right? That's my heart. You're my people. You're my people. You and whoever else shares a like mind. As it regards God's words and Almighty God Himself and the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit and everything else that we talked about, you're my people. 
And I'm grateful for it. This unity is vitally important to our spiritual strength and our endurance. And that's why Paul's so passionate about it. Because it's only as we're of one mind and one heart, it's only as we are in harmony with one another that we can deal with the turmoil of the world outside. Right? And it works like this. Because we're looking to the same Lord and because we've submitted our hearts and our minds to His Word and because we love Him and we remain steadfast as we follow and serve Him and because we look for ways to advance the gospel in this world and to bring other souls into the fold before Christ returns and it's too late because we do that together, I'm looking out for you. And I am loving you and serving you and seeing how I can bless you and everybody in this fellowship. And you are doing the same for me and everyone else. And together, together, we are glorifying Almighty God. That's what it looks like. That's what true harmony in the body of Christ looks like. It's not some superficial harmony and unity that, that is, you know, around a temporal earthbound thing it's rooted in the lord himself and there's there's no other union or unity like it to be found anywhere else on earth beloved live in harmony with one another it's more than a good word for us it's god's word for us amen let's pray Heavenly Father, what a, what a great command that you give to us here. To live in harmony with one another, be of one mind with one another, and one soul, one heart. To be together, together. What a great, what a great command that is. And what rich blessing comes from it. Father, I pray that as we all hear these words, as we hear this command that we'd hear it with a common heart refrain that says yes and amen yes and amen and then lord god that you would move us to do what is necessary in order for that to become an even greater reality in this body in this church Not just, you know, that we would think about how this applies to us individually, but we'd think about how this applies to us individually and as a body together. And so my prayer, Lord God, is that you'll take this word and that you will apply it in the way that you see fit to each of the hearts and the minds and the souls that is in this room today. And I pray that that these words would serve to knit our hearts together even more by the power of your Holy Spirit And by a common faith and a common allegiance to Christ and to his word and to his gospel. And Father, I pray for those that are here this morning that are outside of this this group. That are outside of the harmony that belongs to the true body of Christ. Because they're yet in their sin. And they're yet in their rebellion against God. And they're still, you know, rather than seeing their sin as their own sin, 
They perhaps blame circumstances or situations as the reason for why they are in rebellion against you. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd open their blinded eyes to help them to see that if they are estranged from God, it's because of their sin. But that the Lord Jesus Christ has a perfect answer, is the perfect answer to that sin. So I pray, Lord God, that you'd move in their hearts and that you'd bring them to faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray that you'd make this word fruitful for each one of us. And I pray it in Jesus' name.